so apparently I got to use this today too. That's cool. Um, so, but I, I have to do this, and it's, it's my privilege as a dad. I know that the picture has been already put out from last week, a couple weeks ago, but I want to show you Hollis. Um, this is me playing around, just taking some pictures. This is, my mom said she liked this one the best because it's Hollis talking. So, um, and then let me show you one more. There she is. It's amazing. She's already different looking than she was about a week ago, so a couple days ago. So she's um, just been a true blessing in our family. Um, and uh, we thank you for your prayers, your support. Y'all have been awesome. And we are so thankful to all of you for everything. Um, it really is um, amazing to be a part of such a great family here. And um, we are thankful, our whole family. And, and Hollis doesn't know how good she's got it. Um, so, and we can't wait for getting her to be a part of this church more and more. Um, she's already a part of the church community, but we'll, she'll get to know it more and more. And um, the biggest challenge for her is being the fact that she's now a part of a select club called PKs, Pastor's Kids. So um, pray for her. She needs it. Um, now, with this time, let us, um, boy, it's been, I mean, by the way, next time I take a Sunday off, please don't have a hurricane because that's not fair. I mean, I was supposed to, like, not, y'all take the Sunday off. I should have taken the Sunday. I, I don't understand. I, next time I'm going to have to figure all that out. But um, all right. So what we want to do today is continue our series that we are calling How to Neighbor. Um, and today we're going to talk about our future neighborhood. But before we do that, I think it would be helpful for us to go in prayer and pray for not only our neighbors, but pray for all of our community, pray for the world, pray for all that's going on in our life. We want to pray for those on our prayer list. Uh, Jeff mentioned the Krupas. We want to lift them up in prayer. All the people in our congregation, we have folks that are about to have knee surgery. We have folks that are going through all kinds of different things in our, on both campuses. And so we want to lift up all of those in prayer at this time. So let us pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you now. We are thankful. We're thankful for what you continue to to teach us, and that is how to love and how to, live, how to know that we are loved by you, but also how to love others, how to love you with our whole heart, our whole soul, everything. And so, God, we lift up to you all the many things in our lives, the challenges, the valleys, the brokenness, the darkness. But we also lift up to you, God, and with thanksgiving of the many blessings of the great blessings that you continue to shine upon us and give us, Lord. Help us be more mindful of those. Help us be more aware of those. Let us not take for granted of, of this, this, this everyday opportunity to share your good news, to live out in your kingdom here and now. God, we pray for those on our prayer lists. We pray for those in our hearts, the ones on the paper, but also the ones in our hearts, Lord, the ones that, are, that we, people that we know that are, in constant need, Lord, which includes all of us, of your healing grace. Lord, we lift up our country. We lift up Bluffton. We lift up Hilton Head. We lift up wherever we find ourselves. We lift up the communities that we live in, but also we lift up the communities that are just in constant need of your peace and your grace and your mercy. So, Lord, help us be instruments of that. And we, I say this in that prayer that you so graciously taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we've been talking about how to neighbor. Now, it's important for us to think about what we've been doing. So the past couple of weeks, uh, minus the um, Florence um, event, um, we've been talking about certain parts of neighboring. I have a slide here that will show you the past couple of Sundays that we've been doing. Um, going back, what we began with was the theme of Mr. Rogers, and we talked, actually talked about Jesus' great commandment um, when he said, you want to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, but also you want to love your neighbor as yourself. And we asked the question, does Jesus actually mean what he says? And if he does, what does that look like? How do we actually love our neighbor? And so we took it a step further the next week when we actually talked about the neighbors that we don't actually like, the neighbors that really rub us the wrong way, the neighbors that are difficult to be around. How do we love them? And then the week after that, the week that I realized I was supposed to be coming, but I had a little bit of a change in plans, uh, Jeff delivered a great sermon um, about what does it actually mean to take advantage of the beauty that God has given us. That being a part of a, of a community of faith is a beautiful thing because God created that beauty. God created us, and we're supposed to live into that. And what does that look like? Well, today I want to talk about what, what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be a part of a future community, a future neighborhood? What, is there a future neighborhood ahead of us? And it made me think about the experiences in my life of finding a community. Uh, what I remember as a Methodist pastor, we're kind of moved around. We don't really get a choice on where we go. I, got, I hit the jackpot when I knew I could go back to the low country. Um, but when we were finding a home, the low country, for those that might not know, I grew up in this area. So the low country is a lot different now than it was when I was a kid. And so when we, Bluffton for sure is just completely changed. So we were a little nervous finding a neighborhood, um, given that we had a very short amount of time, a very short amount of uh, opportunities to get here. So what we ended up doing was we looked around. I remember, and of course we picked a Saturday. And we picked a Saturday in the summer where everybody was coming. And, we have, and I, forgot, I had forgotten the, the uh, 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock window that you never want to be driving, um, 278. And I remember stuck in traffic, trying to find a place, trying to find a community, trying to, and we went to try to go to different areas to check them all out, and I was so frustrated. And we finally found a place, we rented it, um, and it was okay, um, but it wasn't where we felt the most comfortable. So we started looking for the best neighborhood we could possibly find. And we realized there's a lot of really great neighborhoods in this community. But what we decided, what made our choice, and I think it's important, when we made our decision on where we wanted to go was three things. Proximity, your location. I wanted to be not so far away from, from the church on the island. I wanted to be able to make sure we could get to Pope Avenue and it wouldn't take a whole day to get there. Um, also wanted to make sure that when we started worshiping, at that time we weren't worshiping in Bluffton, but when we started worshiping in Bluffton, I wanted to make sure we were not too far from there. That was, uh, it was proximity. Proximity to schools mattered. Proximity to to a lot of things mattered, so proximity was important. The second thing was we wanted to make sure we could afford it. <laughs> we wanted to make sure we could actually afford living in this community. There are some awesome communities in this area, but there are some that I can't even get inside the gate. They're so expensive. And so we had to find a place that we could actually afford. Um, the third element, which is important, was we wanted to be in a community where we felt comfortable, where we felt like there were people that we wanted to actually 
get to know and, and that people that actually benefit from getting to know us. It mattered to us that we would have good neighbors, people that we knew and people that would know, get, we get to know. And so that mattered too. And you know, interesting for Kelly and I is we didn't want a community where it was only young people. We wanted a community where it was all ages. Um, we wanted to have children in our community, but we also wanted to be able to have um, the nice, wonderful grandmother that would look after us a little bit every once in a while. So those three things are what took for us what finding our future neighborhood. But as Christians, it's important to remember that the Bible promises us, all of us, a future neighborhood. And there's reasons for that. But we see it all throughout Scripture, particularly in Jesus' ministry. But you also find it in a book that we often don't talk about in the church, in the Bible, and that's called the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has a bad rap. A lot of folks think the book of Revelation is superstition and gets really scared and get really nervous when they hear it because there's a lot of imagery, a lot of um, doom and gloom type of imagery that really scare people. And unfortunately, what's happened is a lot of ministers or a lot of preachers have totally misunderstood it and totally taught it in a terrible way as a way to almost scare people into trying to believe in Christ, which is never the right way. And it's not at all what the scripture was intended to do, especially Revelation. Actually, Revelation was instead a letter written to a community of Christians that were struggling. They were going through a very difficult time in a very difficult place. They were part of a Christian community in an area where the ruler of that time, the Roman emperor, hated Christians. And so they feared for their life, and they saw brokenness all around them, and they were living within that brokenness. And so the letter that John writes is a letter of a dream that he had where he experienced God and experienced Christ and wanted to make sure that they had a central message that they could take away, not only about the world they lived in, but about their faith and what it meant to be a Christian living in this world and what they had to look forward to as well. And so the Revelation is this wonderful book where it talks about what the picture of, of the kingdom of God actually looks like. You might note that we did the Lord's Prayer this morning. And in the Lord's Prayer, there's this wonderful part that says, Kingdom come, thy will be done. So what does it actually mean that the kingdom is coming? What does that look like? What is the kingdom? Well, Revelation gives you a glimpse of the kingdom that is coming. Now, note it's important that the kingdom isn't something you go to. It's something that comes to you. You can't go just find the kingdom. The kingdom is coming down to you. And throughout Revelation, we get this image of Christ bringing the kingdom. In fact, Christ bringing the kingdom from when Christ came. So in other words, the kingdom is already coming. We get tastes of the kingdom here and now. Now, an interesting another point is, and it's often to have this sense it's causing some anxiety for folks because of their image of heaven. But what you have to understand is the kingdom that's coming isn't here yet. There is, God has not done with this world. God has not done with the earth. God wants to restore this community, restore this world, restore this earth. And that's important to note. Now, it doesn't mean that when you die, you're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean that when you die that, you're, that your loved ones are, aren't with God right now and are here in heaven. But what we have to for, never forget is that the kingdom coming is something that is so important to our faith because it reveals who God is and why God matters. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about four things we can learn from 
when we say, thy kingdom come. And from four things we can learn from, from Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is a lot of chapters. And when you read it, you can get very confused. I remember I took a course in seminary on Revelation, and I never thought I, what I was going to get into was what happened. And one interesting part, the professor never started with chapter 1 on Revelation, on the book of Revelation. Instead, he started with chapter 21 and 22, which is the chapters that we're going to talk about today. And the reason he did that was because he wanted to, everyone to understand the central point of the book of Revelation. And that central point is wholeness. Um, the word wholeness is defined as the state of forming a complete and harmonious whole, unity. Now, we talk about unity all the time. Oftentimes, when we talk about unity, it's self-serving. We want harmony and unity in our life when it matters to us because we want to be happy and we want to have things go the way we want it to go. But the actual understanding of wholeness biblically is that it doesn't mean just one group of people that's whole or just the other people that are whole. It's all of us experiencing unity, all of us experiencing wholeness. And it's important to note that meaning because when you see in the scripture today, the community that we see as the kingdom of God the kingdom that's coming, the kingdom that's here, and the kingdom that will be here in, full, in fullness is a kingdom that's whole. In other words, it involves everyone. It involves harmony for all people. And what we see from the very beginning in our passage from this morning is in Revelation 21, um, you'll see this right under the title. It says this, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any air, any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. Notice it, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Think about the harmony here. Think about the wholeness here. Think about the unity and how, what, 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 how you feel when you read this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now remember, John is writing to a community of faith that is dealing with brokenness. Now, you might have a very difficult time imagining what it would must be like to live in that community back then. But it might not be too difficult for you to think about what it feels like living within brokenness and living in a community of brokenness. And what I mean by that is our world is broken. And I feel very strongly one of the best things for the church is the fact that the church, in many ways, is struggling. It's struggling with relevancy. It's struggling with attendance. It's struggling in many different ways. And I think it's a good thing because it's allowing us as a church to ask ourselves, a very important question. What is it that God is actually calling us to do? What is it that God is actually calling us to see and be a part of? And I truly believe that God is not done with the church. God is not done with Christians. God is not done with this world. God wants us to be in very much a part of his plan. And so as a result, we are living today to be a part of the church. And I think it's great that we are struggling in the sense that, and I'm not saying St. Andrew, fortunately, we're actually doing great. But 
Other churches are struggling. Churches as a whole, Big C is struggling because of division, because of schism, because of all the different challenges and, and all the different issues that we're dealing with. But also we're dealing with relevancy. People are finding it a lot easier to go to a football game or a lot more fun to go to a football game than come to church. And so I feel like we're in a prime opportunity as a church. Instead of expecting people to come to us, we go to them. We, the kingdom of God, go to them. We, the people, we, the church, Jesus incarnate, his presence in us goes to them. Instead of expecting the church to come to us, what they need to see is the church is in a building, the church is a community that we go to them. So the understanding of the kingdom of God, the new order coming down is so important. It's so important because God is, we are a part of God's kingdom come. We are a part of God's kingdom here and now. Now, before we go on, I think it's also important to note that the kingdom that's coming doesn't mean that it's just one day it will be perfect harmony. And this doesn't just mean that Jesus is going to come back and restore the world. It does mean that, but it means more than that. We get to be a part of the foretaste of heaven here and now. God does not want brokenness to be a part of our everyday lives. God doesn't want us to be going away from him. God wants to come to us. And we get to be a part of that here and now, not just wait. I have experienced in my life, even personally, where I just kind of get so frustrated with all the problems of this world, I just want to just be done with it. I just want to go to heaven and get done with all these problems. I don't want people hurting each other anymore. I don't want to be hurt anymore. But what we see in Revelation, we see actually in Jesus, is Jesus basically makes a very clear point throughout the Gospels that we get to be a part of the kingdom of God now. If God just wanted us to wait, he would have never send his son Jesus. He has a purpose for our lives. He has a reason and a meaning for our lives. And so when he says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, that is something we should all grasp. And know that the hardships that you're dealing with right here and right now won't last forever. There will be a day where there will be no more mourning, no more death, no more pain, no more crying. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be a part of God's kingdom of God here and now. That we shouldn't be a part of his good news here and now. That we should not be stewards of it. We should not be instruments of peace, instruments of love, instruments of hope. And so what we see in the next couple of verses is a glimpse, is an image, is a portrait, is a picture of the kingdom of God. Of what we are called to be here and now. What it's called to look like here and now. And so if I imagine if I was the recipient, the first recipients of this letter, living, where, living in, in Asia Minor, which is likely where they were, living in a place where you were struggling to even get up in the morning and go on with your life. I can imagine the hope that I must have felt, that I would have felt if I had read or I'd heard this news. That one day you'll experience no more pain, no more brokenness, no more crying. And that would want to get me up in the morning and go and do and serve and not fear death and not fear brokenness, not fear rejection, not fear loneliness, not fear the, all the things that we deal with. Instead, I would want to go up and go because I knew that the God that I love wasn't going to let me go. 
And so there are four things, four great things I want us to take away from Revelation when it comes to our future neighborhood. The first is this. The temple is a person. The temple is a person. What we see in Revelation 21 is that the temple is in a building. Now, what's a temple? In ancient Hebrew understanding, and not only that, but in the history of religion, temples always were places where you could go where you know that God was there. That it was like the holy place. And in Jerusalem, the temple was believed to be where God was present more than anywhere else. It had the place called the Holy of Holies, where you would go and you, you, God's presence was right there and right then. And so the temple was this special place that you would go to, you'd pilgrimage to, where you would encounter God, guaranteed. But what Jesus did is he flipped the understanding of a temple. Instead of a temple being a building where you would go to, Jesus became the temple. Jesus became the holy of holies. Jesus was God. And instead of you going to a temple, Jesus came to you. Notice the people he went to, those that were hurting, those that would not be even let into a temple are the people Jesus went to. People that were scared to go or were not even let in because of purity codes. With people like that, those are the people Jesus came to. He also noticed, interestingly enough, went to the religious elite too. He ministered to them. People always think Jesus was angry with them. Yeah, he was. But he also went to them, shared his good news to the very people that ended up killing him. So the temple is a person. We see this in Revelation. It says, I do not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, think about that. What does that mean in your life? If we believe that not only is the future kingdom coming, but we get to be a part of the kingdom now, what does it mean to bring the temple to others? To bring Jesus to others? Who does that? We do that. Not only does God come to us and tell us we are loved, gives us meaning and purpose and grace and forgiveness and redemption, we get to be a part of that same message and take it to others. We get to say our Jesus a great temple to others. And that goes back to the point I was in earlier. Instead of us expecting people to come here, which I'm really glad that you're here, but we have to go to the others too. There was an image I saw recently of a picture that a, that a pastor had, um, had painted um, for his congregation to make a point. And the picture was, it was a sanctuary, a big sanctuary, and, the, and, the, and then there was a wall, and outside the wall was a guy sitting on his couch looking outwardly. And everybody instead was, everybody else was inside worshiping. And the message that the pastor was trying to share to his church was that that guy matters too. Notice Jesus said, I'm going to leave the 99 and go to the one. And so the question that I think when you think about that the temple is Jesus is where does Jesus want to go? Yes, he wants to be here, and yes, he wants us to come here, but he also wants us to go. So, first point is the temple is a person. And the image of, of, of this future kingdom is that you don't have to go to a building to experience God. That God's fullness and God's presence and God's love is everywhere you go. Can you imagine that feeling? 
of recognizing that and knowing that. You would have no worry and no fears. It would be amazing. Secondly, the gates will always be open. Note what it says in Revelation 21, verses 25 through 26. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The gates will be always open. Now, Jerusalem, if you know, um, was a walled city. Like Charleston, by the way, was a walled city. And the reason that cities were walled is that you had to be walled to protect the city or bandits, bad people would come in and kill and hurt and destroy. And so you built walls everywhere. And in the walls, you had gates. In Jerusalem, there was gates. In all walled cities, there was a way to get in, but you could also protect yourself, lock it, and you couldn't get in. And so what is interesting to note about the future kingdom is that it will be a kingdom where there will be no gates closed. Now, that speaks to us, shouldn't it? It speaks to us on how we live our lives. Are you living a life in which your gate is closed? That you're closed off to other people? That your home is closed off to other people? That your life is closed off to other people? That your family is closed off to other people? That your church life is closed off to other people? Now, the vision that we get here is there's so much harmony and love and wholeness and peace that there's no need to lock the gates. Yet, isn't it interesting that our churches at times, we do that? We don't literally like, well, so I actually have been to somewhere I can't, I literally, I cannot get in because the building is locked. And one time I was asked to preach at a church and, and I was so excited. I got there just a little bit early, not that early. And there were cars in the parking lot. And I went to the front door and there were people inside drinking coffee, hanging out. And I could not get in the front door. I literally could not get in. And I was sitting there like a, feeling like a dummy, trying to open it. it was, you would think the big old door was the front, but it wasn't. Apparently, it's not where everybody would go in. And I was just doing this, and they were looking at me like, what's that weirdo doing? But at any times, our churches are that way, aren't they? And when I say churches, I don't just mean our buildings. Because once we're in church, we, are, we do pretty good at, at, at being welcoming and loving to other people. But the question is, how are we doing the same thing when we go out? Because remember, the temple is not a building. The temple is Jesus. The church is not a building. The church is the movement of Jesus in this world. So for me, this image of an open gate is comforting. Not only is it comforting, because there's so many times I just want to be closed off myself. But to know that I'm always welcome that this is a place where I can go in and not fear and not worry and not worry about my family and not worry about people getting hurt. It's a safe place, a safe space. And if God is challenging us to bring the kingdom and be a part of the kingdom here and now, how can we live our lives as people of open gates? The third point is this. Nations are welcome. If you look in Revelation 21, 24, it says very clearly, the nations will walk by his light. Notice he doesn't say just Jerusalem or just the people of the city of Corinth or just Christians or just um, people that are living in Palestine 
or people living in wherever. Notice it says the nations. And it's important to note what that means. The nations will walk by its light and the king of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The kings of the earth. What it is saying is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom come is a place, the whole of God's, all of God's creation, God's, all of God's creation will get an invitation. Now, it doesn't mean we're all going to get it. Doesn't mean we're all going to understand it. It may mean that we're not all going to get in there. I'm not going there today. But what I want to say very clearly is that it's not just going to be you. It's not going to be people that just look like you or act like you or talk like you or smell like you or are from where you're from or, 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 or share the same interests. No, the nations. And for people of, that were hearing this message, this was a challenge, not just a comfort. It wasn't just saying you're going to be welcome. It's also saying all God's creation. And that's, for many of us, probably a little scary. But it's important to note that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of God where the nations will walk by his light. Now, what would that look like? Does that mean we lose our identity and that we're just not who God created us to be and we're all just walking zombies and we'll all get along and all seem to think the same way? Well, I think about how can we be a part of the kingdom now? How can we be a part of God's kingdom work now? And that means that instead of trying to think everybody's going to be the same and act the same and look the same, we should instead love the same. And that's a big difference. Loving and liking is totally, totally two different things. Loving and tolerating, two different things. Loving means caring. Loving means sharing your life. Loving means forgiveness. Loving means accountability. Loving means a lot of different things. It doesn't just mean pacifying someone. In fact, it doesn't mean that at all. So what it looks like to love the nations is important. Fortunately for me, I learned fairly early on in my life that people that are, that, that there's something special, important about being loved by people that are different than you. I'll never forget going to Scotland. I was scared to death when I found out that my roommates and my people on my dorm were not from South Carolina. You would think that I'd have figured that out when I flew all the way over there. But instead, they were from Norway, from Scotland, and from England. And we even had someone from Italy. And what I realized was these people had a gift that they gave me, and that was that they liked me, and they cared about me, and they wanted to be my friend, even though they were so different than me. And I can't tell you how awesome that felt. But we had that same opportunity, particularly living in Bluffton, and particularly living in the Low Country, where so many different people from so many different worlds and so many different communities are coming here. We have a wonderful opportunity to do what Revelation 21 gives us this image of. And the fourth point, and I think this is the most important one, is that the creation will be restored. Now, why I think and believe strongly that heaven isn't a place necessarily where we just go, that the kingdom of heaven isn't a place that we just get a ticket to and go up to, Instead, that the kingdom of God is going to come to us. Why I think that's so important. And, what, and the image that we get here in Revelation 
is that God's not done with this world. God's not satisfied and happy with the way we've treated this world and the way we treat other people and the way that brokenness and darkness has taken over so many different elements, that God instead wants to come back and restore it. Restore the brokenness. And that is a wholeness kind of understanding. It's not just people. It's all of creation. And the image that you see here is so powerful. It, and it should, it might bring up some other images when you hear this passage. And I'll, I'll point out what it means. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, um, of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. When I came up with this idea of this series, I was blessed to um, have had a chance to, to, to be inspired by um, the Church of Resurrection in Kansas. Uh, there's a pastor there um, who has a great church, and his actual associate pastors did a series called um, The Art of Neighboring. And one of their last messages was a group message of a bunch of folks, and they were talking about um, some really important aspects of Revelation and, and this theme of the future neighborhood. And what I loved about it was they made a point, which I think I often overlook, is that when you read this in Revelation 22 and you see the tree of life, what image comes to your mind if you read all of Scripture? And what the people of God, the, the Christians that were reading this for the first time, immediately what came to their mind was Genesis, was the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Now, what's a powerful part of this is notice that the tree of life isn't in a garden. It isn't in the countryside. It's not. It, instead, where is the tree of life? It's in the middle of the city. It's in the middle of the town. It says in the middle of the great street of the city. Now, this was intentional for you to think about how God has taken this beauty that he created that we see in the Garden of Eden, which we're all trying to get back to, right? We all want to get back to that place where we don't have to worry about image. We don't have to worry about how we look. We don't have to worry about we're living in a harmonious, loving, grace-filled, peaceful place. And, and, and it's, it's heavenly in the sense that there's, there's plenty of food. There's plenty of joy. There's, there's just everything we ever would want. But what Revelation 22 does and this wonderful vision that John gets is he's saying that this paradise is in the middle of life, in the middle of the city. And what I think is, should be challenging to you is how can you be the people of peace? How can you be the healing love of Christ in the middle of where you are? A lot of us like to go places to get away. We want to go to a, um, a resort or we want to go to the mountains or we want to go to the beaches or we want to get away. We want to be away from people. But what this image gives me, and hopefully you, is that God wants us to be the people of peace in the middle of the city. He wants to restore everything. He wants to restore all of you. He wants to restore me. He wants to restore our homes. He wants to restore the, the hatred that's in this world. He wants to restore the brokenness and the pain and the hurt. And I think it's our job 
It's not, our job is not to wait for the kingdom of God. Instead, our job is to bring the kingdom of God here and now. It's to be a part of God's kingdom of God here and now. And the way we do that is we take it to the city. We take it to the community. We take it to our work. We take it to our homes. We take it wherever we go. We take it to our schools. We take it to the soccer fields. We take it wherever we go. Because God has called us to be a part of it. That's what it means to say our kingdom come. That's the image of a future neighborhood, but it's also the challenge that we can be a part of God's future neighborhood now. And so I hope that your takeaway that you get today is twofold. One, God loves you. God loves you. Every one of you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to transform you. He wants you to experience that new life here and now. But the second thing is that not only has God come to you, he also comes to others. And we get to be a part of that too. And that's a joy. That's a joy. That's truly a joy. Let us pray. God, I I am so thankful. I'm thankful for my life. I'm thankful for the lives around me. I'm thankful for all these great people here. I'm thankful, Lord, that you have not let us go, that you come to us, that you love us, that you've built your kingdom here, and that you want to restore us. But not only do you want to restore me and you want to restore all these in this room, you want to restore everyone. And Lord, let us be a part of that restoration. Give us hope. Give us strength. Give us the purpose that we so desperately need. Help us be a part of this redeeming and amazing love. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.